0: If you'll turn in your Bibles to Mark, the 14th chapter. This morning, I want to speak to you about Peter or Judas. That's the title of the message is Peter or Judas. And as we look at this amazing example of betrayal, I hope that it ties into what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. I'll tell you this. There is no possible way that any of us could ever experience the denial and the betrayal that Jesus experienced at the hands of Peter and at the hands of Judas. The reason that'll never happen to any of us is number one, we're not Jesus, of course. And we couldn't do that to Jesus physically because he's not here. He's in heaven. You get that? So what happened here is unique and it's a one time thing because Jesus is on the throne. Now, now we can betray him and deny him every day. God forbid. But in the, in the unique situation where Jesus was physically here present is what I'm trying to get across to you. Nobody can do this, okay? But we can learn from it, that's for sure. So don't sit there and think, well, I've betrayed the Lord in this way and there's no recovery or I've denied the Lord in this way and there's no recovery. You have not done what Peter did because you were not there and you have not done what Judas did because you were not there. We're gonna speak primarily about Peter because Judas is, is real simple. And we've been speaking about this in terms of the fellowship of the church of God. I want you to think about the sweet fellowship that Jesus had with those apostles. There is no sweeter fellowship that could be had than being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at all of the bumps and bruises and different things that they experienced. With the Lord, with the Savior, you would think everything would be perfect if Jesus was here. No, it would be just like it was when he was with the apostles. So as we read this, I want to begin in Mark 14. And I want us to think about offenses. Because there are so many offenses going on here against Jesus. I I counted them up. It's just, I probably missed some. There's so many. And I want you to notice as we look at Mark 14, we're looking at verse 26. I want you to notice where we are. This is right after the Lord's Supper. This is right after the the last Passover where they have observed the Old Testament Passover. Now they're observing the New Testament Lord's Supper, which we still observe today. And in verse 26, as we have often referred to verse 26 and closed out our communion service with a hymn, because that's exactly what they did. We are at that point where they've had that sweet communion, you could get no sweeter fellowship than what they experienced there in this communion with Jesus. And as it says, they sung a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. They left the place where they were to go out into the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. So As they're going along, that is where it is most likely that this interchange between Jesus and Peter and the apostles occurs. Now, I don't want you to turn to Luke. I'm going to be flipping back and forth to some of the accounts. It's very hard to decide which ones to pull in and which ones to leave out. But I want you to notice that Jesus prefaced what we're about to read by looking at Peter before he says what he's about to say in verse 27. He looks at Peter in Luke 22 and 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. Now watch this. That thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So I want you to understand that what I'm speaking to you about is more than just a casual, okay, let's all just go along to get along. You know, offenses occur. Jesus said, woe unto us. Woe unto men. Because of offenses. It's more than just to go along to get along. It was much more than that with Peter and Jesus. Because Jesus says, I've got a goal in mind. Jesus knows what is coming with Peter. He knows the offense that is about to take place, offenses. And he says, I've prayed for you. And it, I tell you, if you can think about that in terms of when you are offended, think about the Lord is praying for you to, to handle an offense right. To handle the situation correctly, so that your your faith will not fail, and that when you are converted, whenever it is dealt with, that you can strengthen the brethren. You see, that's the overall overarching goal there. And so Jesus prefaces what he's about to say to Peter with telling him, "I have prayed for you. Satan desires you. Listen to me, child of grace. Satan desires to sift you as wheat. To sift means to shake around." You can never fall out of becoming a child of God. That will not happen. Jesus said, I've got you in my hand. But Satan can shake the foundations of your life. He can shake you to pieces. (laughs) I know whereof I speak because I've experienced that. Just shake you to pieces with all types of different circumstances and offenses and things that occur in your life. You know, drama. It'll shake you to pieces. Make you pull your hair out. Make you depressed. It'll, it'll send you in all kind of places you don't want to go. Satan desires, because he knows he can't have you for eternity, but he can mess you up right now. See? And Jesus said, I prayed for you. And then Jesus says in verse 27, we're in Mark 14, after they sung him, after they went out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus said, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. What's our subject? Offenses. That is the same word, offended, right there that Jesus used in Matthew 18 when he says, woe unto uh, the world because of offenses. It's the same word. So we're dealing with the same subject. And watch this now. Jesus says, you are going to be offended because of me. (laughs) Now, if Jesus was standing here today and he said to you, you're going to be offended because of me, we would all, all of us would be like, oh, no way. You're Jesus. Anything you do is not going to offend me. So don't think too bad of Peter and the way that he reacts. We would, we would all say that there's no way I'd be offended in you, Lord. Jesus says, all you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written. This was written in the book of Zechariah, by the way. I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. I want you to think about it now from a psychological standpoint. Jesus is about to go and save his people from their sins. He's about to be betrayed into the hands of men and carry out the greatest work that's ever taken place until when he comes back and resurrects all, everyone, all of his children from the graves. It's the greatest moment of history. And Jesus said, all of you are going to be offended because of me going to fulfill the will of my father. That's interesting, isn't it? First of all, ask the question, is, is there being offended? Is it legitimate? Absolutely not. You know, it would be like saying, we don't, like, like Peter said before, he said, we don't want you to go and do this, Lord. And Jesus said, Matthew 16, get thee behind me, Satan, speaking to Peter. See, the, the offense was not legitimate. So he says, all of you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written in Zechariah 13, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Now listen, listen to Zechariah 13 and 6. I don't want to miss this. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hand? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. (laughs) That's the direct quote that Jesus gives. When the shepherd shall be smitten, they shall smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. All that is a reference to Jesus. Jesus. What are these wounds that he find in the hands of Jesus? He says, these are the wounds that I received in the house of my enemies? No, in the house of my friends. You see? So we're talking about the friends of God. Okay? Now, at the same time, let's don't forget this little side note. There was a fellow there during the Lord's Supper, and his name was Judas Iscariot. And some think he went out before the supper. Some think he didn't. It's questionable. It could be either way. Regardless, he's the betrayer. And at some point, he goes out. And he goes out to betray Jesus. He's had enough. By the way, the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas was was whenever Jesus... Allowed Mary, if it was that same night or a previous night, a night or two before, when Jesus allowed Mary to pour the expensive perfume upon him to anoint him for his burial, he said, leave her alone. It was Judas that said, why is she doing this? We could use this money for the poor, which was a lie. He wanted the money for himself. He wanted the perfume for himself because he was a thief. It says that. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Here's the point. You You want Peter or Judas? Judas will dismiss himself. If you, if you handle a situation right, if a person, God forbid, is really a betrayer like Judas, and, and I, Judas now is a, is a wicked reprobate, you understand? <laughs> he doesn't have a hint of goodness in him. So Judas is going to go out and do what he does if you just hold up the banner of love. You understand that? You don't have to go, Judas! <laughs> He'll do what he does as a matter of the course of his nature. You understand that? And so Judas at some point goes out, and while Jesus is interacting with Simon Peter and the others here, Judas is off with the priests bargaining to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Okay, So who do you want? You want Peter or you want Judas? (laughs) I want Peter, (laughs) for sure. So Jesus says, All you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. What a hopeful promise. They're like, they're sitting there going, we don't really know what he's talking about, but at least he said he'll go before us. (laughs) He's not leaving us forever. But Peter said, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. You know, Peter's basically pointing to the other apostles and saying, now look, I know these guys may forsake you. (laughs) That's a real team player, isn't it? (laughs) I know these guys may forsake, you know, John, James, these other guys, you know, my brother. They may forsake, but not me, Lord. I'll go, he even says another place, I'll go with you to prison or to death. (laughs) Now watch this. He says, verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Now, let's just say a little something about the sovereignty of God. You understand that it's not God's business to make roosters crow, right? (laughs) He doesn't make every rooster crow. Uh, you can see God up there like a puppet master going, crow! I mean, could you imagine how, how... I know He could do it because He's so powerful. But could you imagine if God was micromanaging like that? It you make you think, well, does He even have time to listen to my prayers? You know, God is not a micromanager puppet master. But the sovereignty of God tells you that He knows in His sovereignty even when a rooster crows. <laughs> That's something, And it? The sovereignty of God, the Lord can see ahead... And he can see with clear vision all possibilities that may occur. And he sees with clear vision when this rooster is going to crow. And that before the rooster crows, Peter is going to do what he sees him doing. God didn't make him do it. God didn't cause him to do it. But he can see in his sovereignty that he did it. That that ought to be humbling to us. God can see what you're going to do. He can see ahead. You know, David speaks of this in the Psalms. He knows my down sittings and my uprisings. He knows what we do in private. He knows what we're going to do. He knows all the possibilities of what we might do. (laughs) That is mind-boggling. That's why David said, this is too high for me. The sovereignty of God is too high to latch your mind on it. So if you ever meet anybody that says, oh yeah, I got it figured out, you better not listen to them. Because the whole purpose of the sovereignty of God is that He is above and beyond anything that we could think or comprehend. We can't bring Him down that little box. And right here is that example. Peter says, I'll never deny you. And I believe Peter meant it. Don't you? I believe he meant it. Right then, in that moment, in that circumstance, I believe he meant it. That I'll never deny you. I'll go to prison and to death. I'll die with you, Lord. (laughs) And I could just see Jesus looking at him like, you know, like I've... Looked at my kids before and gone, really? (laughs) I'll never do that again, Daddy. Really? (laughs) You do that with your kids, I hope you do. (laughs) Verily I say unto thee, this day, even in this night, he's being very specific. This night, before the rooster crows in the morning... You will deny me three times. And Peter speaks up and he says, Lord, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. (laughs) Better be careful what you promise to the Lord. Likewise, they all said that. So Peter not only led himself into a great error, but he led all the apostles around him. They were like, yes, yes, we won't either. No, we won't deny you. We agree with Peter. (laughs) I can't believe they were still being friendly to Peter the way he was throwing them under the bus. (laughs) And they just keep on walking. Now, they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And we're going to skip over some stuff here because we want to get to to Peter, to what happens. And remember this whole time, Judas the betrayer, Judas the one who hates Jesus... He's over there selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver while all this is going on. He's making that incredible, terrible transaction. Now, as we move to the Garden of Gethsemane and we find Jesus praying, I want you to notice all the offenses that are going on here. Okay, not only was Jesus telling Peter, well, you're going to deny me. There's a lot of other stuff going on, too. First of all, it says that in another account here where Jesus was telling Peter that you're going to betray me, It says that there was a strife over who was the greatest among them. You know, Jesus has just said, Peter, maybe the other guys thought, okay, well, maybe it's me instead of Peter, since Jesus said Peter's going to deny him. (laughs) So they began to have a strife amongst themselves who'd be the greatest. That's an offense right there, isn't it? They did that before, by the way. And also, if you back up just a little bit at supper, whenever Jesus said, there is one here at the table who will betray me. That's very important now. He says, there's one at the table that will betray me. And then later he tells Peter, you're going to deny me. See, there's a lot of that mixed in together. And all of them said, who is it, Lord? Is it I? Is it I? You see, that was an offense right there to the Lord. They, they were so ignorant. They didn't know Judas. See, they didn't take the time to know Judas well enough. If you if you see the characteristics of Judas and what you were doing, it he was doing. It. And if you watch closely enough, you would think some of them might have said, well, you know what? He's the one that's been stealing. But nobody was looking close enough to get that. See? So not only did they say, who will betray you, Lord? They also said, who's the greatest among us? And then Jesus takes the three to the garden of Gethsemane and he tells them, he tells them specifically, he said, now stay right here and stay awake while I go pray. He goes, a stones cast away, about as far as you could throw a rock away. He goes away to pray and he tells them, stay here and watch. Don't go to sleep. They go to sleep three times. <laughs> you know, I mean, you talk about some patience that the Lord had. He's got patience with us too. Thank goodness. But he tells them three times to stay awake. He goes off and he prays. He comes back. They're asleep. I told you to stay awake. He goes off and prays again. He comes back. They're asleep. I told you to stay awake. He comes back the third time and he says, just sleep on. (laughs) Just sleep on. You guys can't stay awake. Just sleep on because the trouble's at the door. It's right here on top of us. And so you know what happens there? Judas, who has been betraying Jesus, he shows up with a legion. uh, Not a legion, but he shows up with Roman guards and some people from the Sanhedrin and He tells them, he says, the one that I kiss on the cheek as a greeting is the one that you want to take. You say, why is that? Because you couldn't pick out Jesus from the crowd of of, of Jewish men. He looked just like an average, ordinary Jewish man. So Judas kisses him on the cheek. And listen to this now. Listen to Jesus' response. He says, friend, betrayest thou me with a kiss? That's the most calm (laughs) response That you could ever give. I mean, I know he's God. And I know I'm not God. But that's amazing, isn't it? Even to the betrayer. Even to the traitor, Judas. The greatest traitor of all time. He says, friend, you betrayed me with a kiss. And the word friend does not mean like I'm an intimate, like you're my child. Friend just means acquaintance. You know, person that I'm familiar with. That's what the the term means. My acquaintance? Are you going to betray me with a kiss? See, he already knew that. And that's when they take Jesus. A lot of other stuff happens there. Another offense occurs because whenever they take Jesus, Peter pulls out his sword and hacks off the high priest's ear, the servant of the high priest's ear. Now, many have said, you know, he was not a very good shot or not, not a very good sword swinger because he should have been able to hack his head off with a sword. But I kind of think that Peter was aiming for his head like this to cut the guy's head off and maybe the guy just kind of did that. Got his ear? I mean, that's what I think now. (laughs) I don't think he was swinging down, but maybe he was. Who knows? Whatever happened, here's another offense. Peter takes out his sword and whacks off the high priest's servant's ear. And Jesus says, put up your sword. Here's another offense. You see? Offense after offense after offense. I debated over whether or not to call this sermon living in offenses (laughs) because that's the way our lives are. We live in offenses. We're offending someone or they're offending us. It's just a constant thing. So he strikes he strikes the high priest servant ear off with a sword. Jesus, I could just see him either reaching down and picking up that ear, or if it was dangling, you know, he just takes it and puts it back on. That's amazing, isn't it? So they fell asleep. They he struck Peter struck the high priest servant with a sword, and then when they took Jesus, guess what? They forsook him and fled. <laughs> But not before Jesus said, let these go their way. You're not going to touch these of mine. It's only me that you're going to take. So another offense occurs. They all forsake him and fled. Now, look at Luke 22. This is where we want to park for just a minute in Luke 22. This is where Peter denies Jesus. And they take Jesus into the Sanhedrin, into the area there to try him. And if you read the account in John, you'll find how Peter got in. John knew somebody that worked for the high priest. So John was able to get in. And John goes back and speaks for Peter as he's at the door. And they allow Peter to come in, into the gated area near where the trial, this first trial of Jesus has taken place. And so as Peter comes in, let's look at verse 54. They took him, they led him, and brought him into the place, the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, earnestly looking, looked upon him and said, this man was also with him. (laughs) You know, here's here's a little little tattletale. (laughs) This man was also with him. Now Peter's sitting there warming himself on this cool night by the fires of the guard there in the Sanhedrin. This is what happens when we try to warm ourselves with the fires of the world. You know, he's he doesn't belong here. He does not belong here. If he is where he says he would be, he should be standing right next to Jesus. I'll never deny you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be right with you. I'll go to death with you. But where's Peter? He's out there warming himself, getting to feeling better by the fire while Jesus is inside being tried wrongfully. See? It, it, you think about the mind process, of, of thought process of Peter. What's he thinking? Because he just said a few minutes before. And we think that this probably happened during an hour time period, these denials. You know, he's sitting there warming himself by the fire. And some lady says, you were with him. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) A certain maid sat by the fire and said, this man was also with him. And he denied and said, woman, I I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. You would think, how could he not connect that? We can connect that very easily, can we not? (laughs) First denial, the Peter standing there in the moment, rationalizing what he is doing. You know, let me just say a thing about rationalizing. You can rationalize anything you want to do. Did you know that? Uh, you can find a verse of scripture probably for almost anything you want to do. Take out something, put something in, or ignore something, and you can rationalize anything. I was sharing last night one of my across the board, bar none, without exception rules that I've always had in my life was there will never, never under any circumstances be a dog in my house. <laughs> He said, well, Brother Tim, that's inconsistent because little Frankie's running around the house when Sister Abigail's home. Uh, You're right. You're right. Got to eat some crow there, don't I? But I have rationalized it because Frankie is only like one-tenth of a dog. (laughs) You know? So, you know, I can handle one-tenth of a dog running around the house and making a mess. But I can't handle a full ten-tenths of a dog. You can rationalize anything you want to. That's how I've rationalized it. He's just a little bitty thing. He's probably (laughs) battery-powered. I just hadn't found the cover yet. <laughs> you can rationalize anything you want to do. You say, oh, you know, I, I, just, I just really can't make church today. You can rationalize not making church. Well, I just really can't, you know, give to the church. You know, I rarely preach about giving, right? But you can say, well, I, I just really can't afford to give this morning. Let me tell you, child of grace, you can't afford not to give to the Lord. <laughs> you see? You can rationalize anything you want to do. Well, I can rationalize any position that's how we come. Peter is rationalizing, denying the Lord. I need to stay close. I need to be here for him if he needs me. <laughs> so I'm just going to say I don't know him. <laughs> you can rationalize anything you want to. Okay? Somebody says, well, I've met this young man or this young woman. And I know they're an alcoholic. And I know that they, you know, they we got in a fist fight. And they bloodied my nose and blacked my eye. But I think I can turn them around. I can rash. Rational- I just love them, you know. <laughs> I'm being funny. I'm trying to be extreme. But you understand... You can rationalize anything you want to. If Peter could rationalize what he's doing right here, you could rationalize anything. If Brother Tim could rationalize keeping a dog in the house occasionally, (laughs) you could rationalize anything. See, Peter said, I don't know him. And then it says he denied him, saying, woman, I know him not, verse 58. And after a little while, another saw him, after some time went by, and said, thou art also of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. So he denies a second time, rationalizing it again. about the space of one hour after, so it's probably a little over an hour here, and we're moving into the early parts of the morning, probably 2, 3, 4 a.m. Another comes along and says of a truth. They've been talking about it back there somewhere. We think that guy was with them. He's like the spokesman. You know, he talks a lot. Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he speaks. He is a Galilean. His, His speech sounds like a Galilean. And Peter, in another version of it, it says that he cursed and he swore. He said something blankety-blank. I swear that I am not with him and I don't know him. And then what Jesus saw in the future occurred. Cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> Off in the distance, that rooster crowed. And it said, this is why I use this account, verse 61. It says, The Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm happy that none of you will ever experience what Peter experienced because Jesus is not physically here to do this to. And we can deny Him in so many different ways in our lives. And we can rationalize things in so many different ways. But can, we cannot imagine what Peter went through. The word wept, the phrase wept bitterly, there's three, basically three Greek words in the New Testament that relate to crying or weeping or even the word tears, okay? And this wept, this word wept is the strongest and the most intense of all of those. This is the same word that is used elsewhere where you read about people crying whenever a loved one dies. This is the same word that the, the widow of Nain, she says that she wept because her only son died, the one that Jesus resurrected at the funeral, This is the type of weeping that you have whenever it's just almost inconsolable, right? This is the same weeping that Jesus had. We read about in Luke 19 where he wept over the city of Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this type of weeping is not a silent crying or tears running down your eyes and you're just internally crying. This is a loud vocal wailing and weeping. So Peter goes out moaning. (laughs) Oh, oh!" you ever had that kind of weeping? Uh, You never had the kind of weeping for denying Jesus like Peter did, but have you ever felt that way? (laughs) Well, if if you have, Jesus knows exactly how you feel because he did it over his own people. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, how oft would I have gathered my children unto me as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? And I love my children so much he was weeping over the wicked city of Jerusalem. Not only that, but the woman that came to Jesus and wept behind him in the book of Luke and watered his feet with her tears and wiped his feet with the hairs of her head. That's the same word. She was wailing. She was weeping. Inconsolable. It's also the same weeping that John the apostle wept in Revelation 5 where it says there was no man to open the book. He says, and I wept much. Can you picture John weeping and wailing and crying there in heaven itself as he was watching that take place? The pageantry that was before him. There was no man there to open the book. (laughs) You ever known anybody that was inconsolable? I've sat down next to people for years who had lost loved ones. A lot of times when somebody would lose a child and they're inconsolable. So what do you do? You just, you just, you just weep with them, weep with those that weep, mourn with those that mourn, rejoice with those that rejoice. (laughs) I tell you, the closest I ever came to that several years ago, when the kids were very little sister Tracy and I, because of me, we had gotten into a bad habit of sometimes we would meet up out there at grandmother McCool's like I'd be coming home from work and she'd be out there visiting with grandmother McCool when she was still alive. And sometimes we'd have this little game where we'd race to our cars and see, with the kids, and see who could get back to the house first, you know. And we weren't doing like a hundred, you know. We'd get in the car, back around, who could get in front, makes it to the house first. That was just a little game we played. It was fun. The kids were like, go daddy, go daddy, you know. And they'd be like, go mama, go mama. Until the game ended one day. Whenever we left Grandmother McCool's and ran out there, I jumped in the Bronco. it has got a high hood over the front of it, you know, a large, tall hood. And... I thought Brother Asher, little four-year-old Brother Asher, was in the car with Miss Tracy, with Mama. And I had one of the girls or somebody in here with me, and I cranked that thing up, put it in drive, and I'm I'm just fixing to start easing forward, fixing to gun it. I'm going to beat Sister Tracy out there. And here comes that little cotton top around the front of the truck. And I almost died. <laughs> I, I was practically inconsolable. And he it, nothing even happened. I'm fixing to go forward and just completely run over him. And both of us got out of the truck and we were just, woo, 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 woo. we were just bawling on each other's shoulder. And oh my goodness, we came. it didn't even happen. It, I didn't even kill him or run over him. And I was practically inconsolable thinking about how dumb I was for doing that. And we looked at each other and we were like, never again. That game has never been played and never will be played again as long as I live. That's the closest I could come to feeling what it feels like to lose a child almost, in just a heartbeat, the press of a gas pedal, and he would have been gone, a little four-year-old fellow. You ever known people that were just inconsolable? This is Peter. He is inconsolable. And for three days, three nights, you wonder, was he depressed? Yes. You wonder, was he suicidal? I wonder. He's in bad shape. Do you maybe think that he thought he was the betrayer? (laughs) I think he did. And what you have there, remember Judas, Judas goes and betrays Jesus and Judas gets the money for betraying Jesus. And what does Judas do? Judas goes off, finds a rope, puts it around his neck, hangs himself. He's dead. Judas will remove himself from your life. If you hold up the banner of love, I'm telling you, I've seen it happen. I've experienced it firsthand. Judas will remove himself. By holding up the banner of love. He'll go hang himself. I don't mean every Judas will go kill themselves. But they will remove themselves from your life. If you handle it right, process it right, and hold up the banner of love. And if you handle it right, process it right, and hold up the banner of love, then you'll see experiences like Peter. Mark 16 and verse 6. It says, whenever the ladies came to the tomb there, three days and three nights had passed. Peter's been off in no telling what pit or abyss that he has been off in. Because he's offended and denied Jesus Just like Jesus said he would do. And it says in Mark 16 and 6, whenever the ladies came there to the tomb and they went inside and they saw this angel sitting there and the angel says to them, be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. And another time it says, just like he told you he would do. Behold the place where they laid Jesus. Watch this now. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. Is that not the last thing that Jesus told him? He said, I go before you into Galilee. And now the angel says, go tell the disciples and tell Peter again that he goes before you into Galilee and there you shall see him as he said unto you. Another place you say well that probably fixed Peter. No, uh-uh, it didn't fix Peter. We still got a little ways to go before Peter gets fixed, before he gets healed, okay? Luke 24:13 where it talks about the Lord walking on the road to Emmaus, some people believe that that's Peter, one of those disciples, some believe it is not. I really don't know if it was or not. But if it was Peter, at that point, they could not recognize it was Jesus. He held his features back from them and he began to preach to them. But I want you, the point I want you to get out of that is that th- those two guys, were, if it was Peter, he was hearing one of the best sermons that he's ever heard in his life because it was, it was Jesus preaching about how he was to go to the cross and be crucified. And then Jesus appears to the disciples and Peter there in Jerusalem. But Peter's still not back yet. You know, he, he's probably thinking he's done with me. I've gone too far. I've done too much. Listen, this is where Peter comes back. <laughs> and I want you to notice we've spoken about this before. You ever heard the phrase misery loves company? Well, I believe this is where it came from because John 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself to the disciples of the sea of Tiberias. This is when Jesus said, I will go into Galilee and I will see you there. <laughs> and so the disciples, okay, we'll go and see him there. Well, when they get there, it was Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, Sons of Zebedee, the two other of the disciples. And Simon said to them, well, he's probably not coming. I'm going fishing. Jesus said to go there and I'll meet with you. And Simon, he see, he's not back. You get that? He's not back yet. He's not healed. He's not moving forward. When he says, he, he says, I go fishing. He's not talking about going and get your rod and reel and go fishing with your son or your grandson. He's talking about, I'm going back to my former occupation of being a full-time fisherman. Because I know Jesus is done with me. See, he's not back. You get it? So they go fishing. They fish all, all night. They don't catch anything until Jesus shows up. Jesus is on the seashore. He says, have you caught any fish? And then they realize it's Jesus. And here comes Peter. He goes crashing to the shore. You know, very much an extremist. He goes, jumps in the water, swims to the shore. And then it's Jesus there. And in John 21, Jesus says, come and dine, verse 12. And they eat with Jesus. And as they're sitting there eating, he says to Peter, verse 15, when they had dined, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these, the fish that you have eaten? And he says, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said, Feed my lambs. He's not back yet, though. He said to him again, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? (laughs) The image that I get here is, you know, a parent who's got a little child that won't look him in the eye. (laughs) You know, look me in the eye and tell me you love me. Yeah, I love you. (laughs) Look me in the eye and tell me you love me. I love you. (laughs) And then finally, that third time, look me in the eye and tell me, do not take your eyes off of me. Look at me, penetrate my eyeballs. I love you. <laughs> That's what I picture is going on here with, with Peter. Now, I know Jesus doesn't have his hands on his head, but he's trying to get his attention. Jesus is not just trying to get his attention. He's trying to bring him back. You see? And then and Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And then he says to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter is grieved. He says, you know, I, I love you, Lord. You know, I do. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And this is what brings Peter back, that direct one-on-one interaction with Jesus. And I know what you're saying. I know you're saying, well, yeah, you know, if Jesus was here to affect that kind of coming back together when offenses occur, it would be so much easier. Yeah, it probably would be easier if Jesus was here. But it's not something that's impossible. It's not something that can't be done. Now, here's the point. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't give up on Peter? Peter? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't kick Peter to the curb and say, you denied me, you offended me, I'm done with you. I'm telling you that if Jesus had done that, we would not have the Peter standing up in the book of Acts that we have that preached the first gospel message in uh, the days of the New Testament church when the church begins to set sail. That's what we're talking about here. Remember when we started a few weeks ago talking about the church? The, the gospel ship is in the, the harbor and the winds of the Holy Spirit uh, fill up the sails and it begins to move out into the, into the ocean of time and it's still here today. And it's because of one of the reasons. It's because Jesus dealt with Peter like he did and Peter's offenses. You see that? Oh, I hope you see that. It wasn't just for Jesus to recover fellowship with Peter because he'd been offended. It was in order to enable Peter, the offender, to go out and be something that God intended for him to be. You see? You get that? It's a beautiful symbiotic way that you say, well, it looks kind of difficult. It it didn't happen overnight, did it? It didn't happen overnight with Peter and, and Jesus. But it's something that is beautiful, that God is pleased with. And Jesus, remember, said, Peter, I've prayed for you. Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. And when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Did that happen? You see, Peter was recovered from his offense against Jesus. Did, uh, okay. did Peter's faith fail? Yes, it did. His faith failed. He denied Jesus. Through the process that Jesus brought him back and recovered him, was he converted back to his faith being strong? Yes, it was. And did he go on and strengthen the brethren? Yes, he did. You get that? Child of grace, in a microcosmic way, you're not Jesus and you're not Peter and you weren't there when all that happened. But in a microcosmic way, you can see the model of that in your own life, in your own marriages, in your own friendships, in your own fellowships. This is the pattern that works. Not only are you trying to recover that gap or that hole or that hurt in there where you've been offended, but you're also trying to help that person to go on and become something that will strengthen the brethren and the sisters. You see that? Now, I ask you, are you offended as they were? At the pattern that Jesus has laid down? Are you offended? Jesus said, all of you will be offended by me this night because I'm going to go do the will of my Father. And they were offended. <laughs> so when you see the pattern that Jesus has laid down, does it offend you? Said, say, nah, it wouldn't work for me. Then that means you're offended at Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus' pattern works. You know, I hadn't had too many enemies in the world. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. But I remember when I was in high school, I got crossed up with this guy and there was never a reconciliation of getting crossed up and through the years I've seen this person many times through the years and every time that I have seen that person whether it was at some function or some gathering or whatever every time I've seen that person I have felt the same little cold sweat and nervousness that I felt you know when when all of that went down when I was in high school I'm like ooh, you know all of a sudden I'm transported back you know 30, 20 years before, 30 years before, and it keeps counting and ticking, ticking upwards. And in those scenarios, when I would be around that person, it made me very uncomfortable. It was in me. I mean, there was nothing that person was doing, but in me, I was very uncomfortable. So you know what I did? First of all, I did not run screaming and get away, get out of here. I would go up to that person and I would do my best to interact with that person to, to the best possible degree that I could ask them how they're doing, ask them how the family's doing, ask. I would make myself, you know, if you say Brother Tim's a hypocrite when he talks about fake it till you make it, I am not a hypocrite. I have done that. <laughs> and I would go up to that person and I would interact with them because I knew that that was what would be good for me and it would be good for that person. And it, yet I still would get nervous and I still would feel, you know, <laughs> feel like I did 30 years ago, 40 years ago now. So you say, well, that didn't do any good, did it, Brother Tim? I think it did because on my 50th birthday, Sister Tracy had arranged to put this beautiful Happy Birthday Tim sign. You know, the sign companies come to put the signs up. She arranged to put this beautiful Happy Birthday Tim, 50th birthday, out there on the courthouse square right outside my office. Lo and behold, I walked in that morning. I didn't even see it. <laughs> they were like, did you see your sign? I'm like, what sign? Look out your window. Whoa, there it is. Big as life. You know, Happy Birthday, Brother Tim. So, of course, they wanted some pictures out there, you know, with my sign on the courthouse square. Y'all know I don't get embarrassed easy, you know. So here's all these cars going around and around and around. I'm standing out there by my sign, you know, looking old and 50 years old as the hills, you know, standing here, standing there, you know, making all the... And so people passing by, you know. So we were almost finished, and that person drove by, that person I'm talking about. And that person honked the horn, leaned their head out the window and said, Happy birthday, Tim! And I said, that made it all worthwhile. That one thing made all that discomfort and all of that wanting to kick somebody to the curb and wanting to dismiss them and wanting to avoid them, that made it all worthwhile. It don't take much to please me. (laughs) Made it all worthwhile. That could be your experience with offenses. Or it could be something even greater than that, like Peter and Jesus. But regardless, child of grace, I'll take Peter over Judas any day. I'll take the pattern of Peter over Judas any day, won't you? Is your faith going to fail? Yes. Do you need to be converted back to be strong? Yes. And then, guess what? You'll be able to strengthen the brethren. I hope and pray that this line of preaching that we've been doing on the interaction and the fellowship of the saints of God will point to its intended purpose, which is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and show you the pattern for which not just a church thrives, but a marriage, a friendship, relationship, whatever it may be, it will thrive by putting into practice the pattern that Jesus has laid down.